0: You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey everyone, Matt from Occupier here. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of The Fully Occupied Podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe on your favorite listening platform. Or just shoot us a note at marketing at occupier.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on future guests, topics you'd like to hear about. Ask us any questions you have or just say hi. Enjoy the show. Dave, welcome to the Fully Occupied Show. Thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, pleasure to be here. And uh, kudos, man. You guys have had a, a run in the news. You're making headlines.
0: Yeah. Thanks, man. At least, at yeah. least, my little world.
1: <laughs> yeah, in the in,
0: in the little commercial real estate world that we live in, where people pay attention to that type of stuff, we're making some headlines. But yeah, I I appreciate it. Why don't you introduce yourself for everyone who's listening?
1: Yeah. Uh, so I'm Dave Cairns. I, I work for CBRE. Um, I've I've worked out of Toronto uh, to this point, um, almost a decade. But recently. Uh, my family and I moved to Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, which is this beautiful little island off the east coast of Canada, um, which has been an interesting reception within the industry. Uh, you know, given that like some might think it's a bit sacrilegious to be someone who flogs office space for a living, <laughs> but lives as a remote worker, which is really, you know, truly what I am now. I'm a remote worker. Um and I'm traveling, you know, based on client needs um, yeah. or I'm like, thinking you know, I'm going to New York in, in June actually to speak at a conference. And so, like, my life has morphed from like office centric leasing broker to remote first <laughs> leasing broker who, you know, moves when when I need to. Um, so, yeah, in simple terms, um, I help companies you know deal with their real estate and, and their office space needs, which is really increasingly a blurry continuum. Um And I I think it's really just so cool that the conversation in office leasing has moved so far away from like rental rate, free rent, vacancy, new builds, old stock, all the bullshit that like, frankly, is just sort of a symptom of doing, you know, what a client needs. Um, Yeah. And more on to like, you know, the future of work and the purpose of why we even go there in the first place. And how we make culture more inclusive. And, and, you know, if you're a broker and you're not following and, and finding an interest in some of those adjacent subjects that sort of circle around the office, I think that uh, it, it could become problematic for you over time, just with so much change that's going on right now. So I'm very interested in that stuff. Um, I sort of publicly journal it on LinkedIn um, as a content creator. And I, I almost just consider it like a public journaling exercise that that I undertake. Uh, but Sometimes is, is really rewarding and sometimes it's very punishing. And <laughs> uh, but you know, just like anything, right? Like when you, you know, when you play a sport or you do anything when you're in the competition, whatever that is, you learn so much more from it. And so I'm a big believer in actually just saying what I think in the moment, and that changes and evolves, but I say it and I say it with conviction, and it actually teaches me so much by doing that because. People respond, and they either teach me something, show me how I don't want to behave in the future, or uh, you know affirm a belief that I have. So
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, like the the herd mentality of the of the commercial real estate space doesn't necessarily lend itself to a lot of uh, out, outsized voices or 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 critics about how things are done. Right. Like to your point yeah. earlier, it's always just about sticks and bricks. Right. Like yeah, how much you know office space isn't is a commodity inventory and tenants are going to lease it. So like, let's just yeah. get down to breast tax and talk about rent TI and free rent. And, you know, I'll go on to my next deal. But, you know, within the four walls of those offices, there's a lot more things to consider.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, you're sitting in a WeWork, right?
0: I'm sitting in a WeWork. Yeah. I'm sitting yeah. in. Yeah.
1: So I think, I mean, to me, WeWork fundamentally changed our industry. They're, they're obviously not the first to execute on you know hospitality focused flexible real estate that's not that's not the first they're not the first but they were the first brand that was recognizable enough to make a significant impact and what I think that they've done is they've shown our industry that office real estate is actually a riskier proposition than we all thought that it was and the reason is that if it doesn't actually offer what customers and end users want then eventually the shoe (laughs) will drop and it's not necessarily you know so great to have a long-term lease if it's not actually serving customers. And so, you know, what customers ultimately want is more lease flexibility and and a service oriented partner to help, you know, deliver on, on a great day at work, right. If that work day is in an office. And so I think that they just fundamentally changed the industry. Um, And we're only really starting to see, I think what that impact truly was kind of now um, as, as we reorient and reintegrate ourselves into society.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting how, how it will play out in terms of like how the pandemic either affirms or um, disproves that theory, right? Because it, it it almost seemed a little bit forced how big companies are starting to adopt like oh I'm going to dip my toes in the co-working space, see what it's like, and it was like they they needed to react to it because there was this kind of natural force just growing in the real estate space, right? Yeah. Um, but now like they actually have to figure it out, like how am I going to accommodate an infinite number of scenarios for how people want to work? Um, Is it, you know, is it, okay, I'm going to go lease some flex office space and sublease out like my headquarters. Like there's, so the permutations that people are going to go through now are, are going to, are just going to be mind numbing. And I think if I, you know, was, was an analyst, I would think that WeWork would be well positioned now because they're going to absorb a lot of that kind of like uncertainty in how, companies are thinking about occupancy and yeah. they're going to offer the service based flexibility that people will need. And that's not to say that every company is going to move into what we work, but like, you know, they're, they're well positioned to catch a lot of that demand.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's just like it, it, all of this will, will make uh, flex office or whatever we want to call it, a far more meaningful part of a company's strategy. And it will no longer really be much of an afterthought. It'll kind of find its way into the strategy. Um, Are you seeing that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, what I think what's been really interesting to me to watch um, is how I I find some forward-thinking companies are trying to find ways to bring the office to their employees rather than necessarily requiring them to go to the office. And so... I think that the marketplaces have a big role to play in that regard because they give, they essentially put the office into the employee's pocket and allow for them to be able to use that piece of technology that we use for everything else to book a productive workspace where they need it, when they need it, and for how long they need it. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm working with, uh, by example, Softchoice um, who's piloting with Liquid Space right now. Um, and we're thinking we might actually also pit them against a workspace operator such as a WeWork at the same time to see if, in fact, there is a genuine benefit to having the network versus maybe having less access to locations, but a direct, you know, sort of partner. A a
0: consistent experience, a direct partner where.
1: Yeah. 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 And so that, you know, like I'm seeing those examples pop up more and more and more. Um, I'm also hearing from like, you know, people that are on the on demand side of the industry that they're blown away by how large some of the requirements are that come directly to them through like digital channels without a broker. Like I had a guy tell me a story about um, a New York based uh, tech company that ditched, uh, ditched their office in the pandemic and grew from 300 to 600 people. And they were back in the market looking for space literally just googling and finding flex operators and just saying like can you help me fulfill a requirement for 600 people yeah. which is absurd when you think about it like that was never happening yeah. uh, and then one other thing that like blows me away is like what some of the i, I call them like the speedboats, the, the sort of like more nimble younger companies smart open-minded thinking founders the way they're looking at real estate too. Like I was, I just did a deal in mid 2021 with a company called Sensei Labs in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And before the pandemic, they were a fully office centric culture. Like they were, there was a desk for every employee. And obviously people were there like four or five days a week, generally speaking. And so when we were talking about them raising a series A and then going to look for space, um, they were thinking they needed like 12 to 15,000 square feet but after kind of like spending a year observing what you know, was going on and talking to employees about what they wanted, the employees sort of said they only wanted to come in once a week. And so what that led to is us doing a 7,300 square foot transaction, but it was really wild how it took, took shape. Like in Toronto, there's probably, there was, and there is still sort of about 3 million square feet of sublet space on the market. Um, most of it is below 10,000 square feet and it's built out and ready to go. Right. So there's a lot of options to choose from, but because this company was, was fundamentally changing the way they were going to operate and how they were going to use physical space. They were like, we know that we can't go look at a sublet and find a space that will actually be designed in a way that's conducive to how we're going to work now. So we can't do that. So what do we do? And so we actually went and found a base building space, a sublet, and we got it for like 50 cents on the dollar. And that gave them the opportunity to actually design and build out a space that was all geared around activity-based working and, and sort of like, you know, celebrating success and just hanging out more than it was like heads down work. Yeah. So it was 7,300 square feet and a fully completely reinvented version of what an office was, right? It's like, those are all big markers to me of of a lot of change that still kind of lies ahead, you know?
0: I think it's crazy how companies can just lease twice as much space as they need just because they think they need it, you know? It's like, it's always, I mean, obviously it benefits the broker and the landlord if that happens, Uh, brokers on both sides. But it's, it's almost like, why don't, I mean, this is kind of the thesis for our business, right? Is make better real estate decisions. Why don't more companies actually go through that exercise to figure out how people work before yeah or, or want to work right that's pretty fascinating so so three million square feet of sublet space in like downtown toronto it's, it's just yeah like yeah.
1: down in midtown i mean yeah. is a fairly small market so yeah predominantly downtown um and most of it being in like what we call the entertainment district which is sort of like the cool funky brick and beam creative tech kind of market, again, it's not surprising, right? Like those are the kinds of companies that first of all, you know, rent is a big expense. It's not like a write-off like for Facebook or whatever, number one. And number two, going back to my earlier point about like speed boats, they're they're just more nimble and they're willing to kind of like pivot and just look at how they work completely differently. And they can, right? Yeah. Um, And so it's not surprising that that's where I think you'll find more sublet space probably in every major market around. North America.
0: Yeah, and we could have another podcast about forecasting the return of the the real estate market, but yeah. that's not the fun stuff. Cool. So I, let's talk about like your your um, LinkedIn journaling because I think it's pretty fascinating. That it, sometimes I look at you your posts and I see it got posted an hour ago and there was already like twenty five comments and I'm like, wow, like people actually engage and so. I think obviously you need to build up an audience you need to build up a reputation and people you want quality followers and people that will engage um but like what did you when you first started doing it what was your goal and then like how has that changed um over time
1: yeah you've asked a great question because my goals (laughs) have changed over time um so when i when i started doing content I just I saw it as just uh, two things really one I was really not, in, not interested in prospecting in the conventional way it just didn't get me excited and so I knew I wasn't going to do it and so what else could I do to you know fill that void and you have to because it's 100% commission job right you got to find right. some way to get in front of people Yep. Um, so this dates back many years like this you know this is probably 17 18 I just started doing pretty vanilla you know, basic office market posts, I can remember a girl on my team, who was encouraging me to do more content, partly because her job and compensation revolved around that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But she was like nudging me to do more videos. And we would sit in an off like in a boardroom or whatever and shoot these like sort of like tutorial videos like how do you sublet and relocate your office at the same time without paying double rent and like you know whatever you talk about that yeah. and I used to sit yeah. there and literally I must have done like 10-15 takes just awful stuff yeah. right <laughs> <laughs> brutal
0: why are we doing this yeah
1: yeah yeah um and but that that was actually my foray into doing video and it's a very uncomfortable medium for everybody uh me included and it's it's just like everything in life right like you you start doing something you become eventually more comfortable with it over time but also what starts to happen is that you become more comfortable with your own voice you start to actually discover what that like you know continues to be and look like and then of course like if you're going to allow yourself to go down that rabbit hole things will naturally change quite a bit and so for me that kind of coincided with the pandemic um, I was starting to really look at office leasing very differently, like kind of going back to your point around like, why do companies take on so much space they don't need? Yeah. I was like basically spending all of 2019 thinking about that. That's all I was yeah. thinking about. And, and that really was because of getting involved in the flex office sector and like, you know, working to try to help convene enter the Toronto market and just a lot of things I learned through, through those experiences um but you know right around that time that was where my brain was moving and then the pandemic happened and interestingly for me um I actually was like a gig worker like a remote worker before getting into real estate I was a professional poker player so like I I lived the digitally nomadic life of just like bring your laptop and like you're good to go right um but I kind of put that part of myself like into a little box and locked the key when I joined CBRE and and got into this industry and like I was 25, very insecure, never worked in the corporate environment before and was just sort of like taking direction from people who were successful. Right. Um, but then I gained more confidence and stuff by the time the pandemic happened. And then I'm like, OK, let me tap back into this side of myself. Like, I know a lot about how to like communicate asynchronously. I know a lot about how to build and maintain relationships online. Like, I, I know how to be productive from anywhere. And yeah. I think I can use that to kind of poke some holes in what's going on in this whole debate around the office, right? And then on top of that too, I was like, you know, I don't really think, I think all my competitors are just gonna be chucking space at people, like at the most insensitive time to chuck space at people ever. Like they they never wanted you to do that in the best of times. And now like we're in like a global pandemic. And like, I just said to myself, that's the exact opposite thing I should be doing. So, and, and then I kind of knew like it would be all in vain anyway. Like I knew that no companies were going to make any real right. estate decisions unless they had to, you know, in that first year of the pandemic. So I was just like talking about what the motivation was. My motivation then became less about making money at, through real estate transactions and more about building a brand, uh, you know, as somebody, you know, who maybe had a bit of a contrarian voice, Um and it's served me extremely well i've met so many people from around the world that have improved my knowledge base for the industry which is really just incredible like that's one of the biggest opportunities doing content is actually learning you talk about comments like all the learning is in the comments you know what i mean yeah. um and then also it gave it's given me so many relationships that i didn't have and enough, like, credibility, even if people don't necessarily like what I have to say, there's very few people I can't reach out to that won't get back to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. those became my motivations. But funny enough, I ended up winning soft choice of North American Mandate with, like, 30 locations off the back of my content. So it did happen as well, where I, I, I got some some business out of it anyway. So Yeah,
0: yeah, I um, kind of had a similar experience back when I was at JLL. I, st- I started dabbling with kind of contrarian viewpoints on Twitter or LinkedIn. And and I couldn't get like colleagues to understand that it wasn't just like a prospecting tool, (laughs) you know? It was like, people were so kind of like interested in learning about it, but also confused at the same time that I was asked to like present to the whole like region, like how to use like social media as a broker. And that was my first thing. It was like, you're not going to like tweet and then get a requirement. (laughs) <laughs>
1: like, yeah, course, yeah. Just
0: building a voice yeah. and you know if you build up enough credibility then you know there's yeah sure something might happen from like a you know a prospecting perspective but that's not really the end goal of it um yeah. but i mean to your point eventually something's gonna kick loose and you, you get an awesome client out of it right
1: yeah yeah I think you have to like, there's a few things about it. Like we have to realize what business we're in and we're not in the kind of business where companies are really thinking about actively on a daily basis, what it is that we care about, right? Mm-hmm. It's something that they have a time-based need around most of the time. And so like when they go onto LinkedIn, they're not searching for content about real estate and they're if they see it often, it's like just tune it out because they don't care, right? So when you think of like how I actually directly want a piece of business from content, it was a very sophisticated company with thousands of employees with a workplace leader who's out there looking for industry insights, which is you know, more common as you swim up the stream with right. customers, right? Right. For, for brokers out there that are like, you know, mostly doing one-off transactions with like small tech companies, I'm not really of the belief that, that content is going to be what gets you there directly. But of course, having your name and your voice out there and pairing that with other strategies is definitely going to increase your, your lead and your, your funnel. Um, but you're not necessarily going to be able to like tie it to, to a piece of content and be like, oh yeah, that content is what got me you know, that client, right?
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, I think you, know, you have to get to a certain size of company where they start to look for those industry insights around the workplace, around how employees uh, engage with an office. Frankly, companies that are, you know, like our size, for example, series A, 30 plus employees that are, we're just trying to build the business. So like real estate is one of those things that you just want to get done as fast as possible and like not have to worry about again. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sure. Someday when we have thousands of employees, there will be somebody dedicated to learning the best industry practices of that moment and how we yeah. can apply those to a real estate strategy. Yeah. So yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. Shifting gears a little bit, like, getting to like the essence of like your messaging in your linkedin journaling um the kind of the the catchphrase that like we pulled out of reading some of it was like the infinite workplace like yeah define that for us and like tell us what that is and and how you came up with it and what it means to you
1: yeah well i don't think we we can't really like define it because by its very nature it's evolving constantly right but um what i think has fundamentally changed that, I mean, this was not, this is not a new insight, but it's something that is more widely understood now, which is that work for knowledge workers is not a place. It's something that you do. It's not necessarily somewhere that you go. And that is definitely a core value of the millennial and the Gen Z cohorts as well. Right. Yep. And so that really forms sort of the ethos of my thinking around the infinite workplace. And when I think into the future, like if I go 10, 15 years into the future, 20 years into the future in my head, to me, the way people will work feels very liberated. It feels like within a greater city area, there will be so many different places where people are are tapping into workspaces, right? And I I think that the technology in the next 10 to 20 years is going to get to the point where it's going to be seamless. Like we're going to be able to literally load up our phone, know where our colleagues are going to be and very naturally be able to find our way to productive spaces that we can either, you know, do a very purposeful task, like recording a podcast or doing deeply thoughtful work or collaborating and meeting with other people. So like, I I see that future as being like the HQ office is just one of many spokes on the bike, you know, chain that people are using within, um, within a greater city area. And, and in that regard, I think that remote work and this remote work revolution, isn't actually gonna drive people out of cities really much at all. I, I think I'm actually a very atypical example. I don't think like on the whole, more people are gonna keep flocking to cities versus what I've done. But I think it's remote work's gonna fundamentally change the relationship that people have with cities. And I don't think that the focus will be as central in terms of like where people go to work. Like by example, I was talking to one of my colleagues earlier today, she's young. And I was asking her like, you know, what are your friends saying? Like, what are they, like how are they feeling about like going back to the office and stuff? And if they're given the choice, what are they doing? And she was referencing that there was one girl who lives literally her condo is like a three minute walk to the company's office. And she only goes there when she wants to, when she wants to change of scenery right? Now she has no mandate or anything. And so that's what that's what her organic behavior is yeah. causing her to do, right? And it's cr- kind of crazy when you think about that, because commuting to that office is not a problem for her. She's a three minute walk, but she's not going very frequently, right? Yeah. Now, where does that person find herself on, again, take the pandemic out of it? Where is she going to find herself throughout a day when, you know, she's given the choice to just kind of like move freely and work wherever she wants? She'll be all over the place. Right. And that work will be happening on the fly. Some will be happening from coffee shop, co-working space, friend's house, company office. Like it's everywhere. Right. So like in that regard, that's why I think the future of the workplace is infinite. And but to bring it back to like real life today, like the example I gave about soft choice and, you know, piloting with liquid space and finding ways to actually bring the office to the employee versus, you know, suggesting that that employee should go to that central workplace because that's the place where work is done. That's fundamentally changing even at the enterprise level today. Mm -hmm. You know, GSA in the US does a partnership with Liquid Space, WeWork, DeskPass, whatever. That's designed, I think, for two reasons. One is to just dump a bunch of underutilized real estate over time. And the other is to do the exact same thing Software said, which is to find a way to bring, empower employees by, you know, putting the office in their pockets.
0: Yeah. How do you think the physical world has to, the physical real estate world has to respond to that? Because the function of a class B you know, CBD office building might might change, right? Like if you're looking at, like you said, I mean, we're recording a podcast right now. I go into a conference room to do that. It's not ideal. If there was like an on-demand like podcast studio that I could book once a week where I could, I knew I can go in and the equipment would work and I would get that task done. And then I'd go to my office and do deep work for a little while and then maybe go home and work from home where you know, yeah. I can handle my kids and do all this other stuff. Like how does the actual physical real estate need to change in order to do that? And do you think the real estate market is is, is willing to kind of get out in front of it?
1: Yeah. Deep question. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we will see more and more niche, um, hospitality or service focused, uh, like on-demand workspace players, like, uh, who will focus on things like what you just said. Right. So like I don't, it wouldn't surprise me if we see more and more of those like purpose built podcast type facilities, you know, find their way into, you know, key urban areas. And I like the way I look at it, and I, and I know this is already happening in real time, like a company like Shopify might have um, spaces like that within their workspace because they're, you know, big company with the ability to pay for all that shit. Um, And maybe it's all fully booked and they then have to tap into, um, you know, a flex provider just down the street who also has a purpose built podcast studio. Right. Or for other companies, they might not have it at all. And so, you know, this then becomes, um, you know, a place where people go. And I I think that the snowball is just starting to roll down the hill there because as you know, play the tape five years forward, like there's going to be so much more data around like what people use physical spaces for when given more of the autonomy of choice. Right. So that's one area of it. Um, But then the other, like, you know, I think that there's just this fundamental mismatch of supply and demand. Right. You know, you worked at JLL, JLL predicted that by 2030, 30% of supply would shift to some version of space as a service. Right. Um, And I don't know whether that's now a conservative estimate or not, we will see. Um, But I think that, office real estate is going to have to go from an asset management business to a business business. And we're seeing that already happen. And every landlord out there that has half a brain knows this, but whether or not they have the capability to act on it or will act on it, you know, remains to be seen. Um, But then there's also these structural issues too. Like, even if, you know, a really great landlord wants to, you know, convert 30, 40% of their building into all kinds of different on-demand spaces. They're, they're fucked basically because the capital markets uh, does not like, you know, anything that is a short-term contract. So yeah. in that regard, things have got to change. And like I made this post earlier today, which was sort of a, like a joke, like meant to be taken as a joke. But like Elon Musk has reduced the cost of space travel by like 100x and he's making us an interplanetary species. Like if that guy can do that, the commercial real estate industry can try to find a way to match supply and demand.
0: Like, Yeah, <laughs> value buildings differently.
1: That's what I mean, yeah, yeah. like all, all those things. Like, you know, he's going to space. Like we're, we're not performing rocket science in this industry and it's not complicated. It's just like there's vested interests that, you know, preclude the change. And like, some uh, there's a quote, I'm gonna butcher it, but it's just like, you know, rep, like you, you can't have fundamental change until the old guard who's stopping it like get, gets off the pot and like that's happening it's just it takes like a decade for that to okay. take shape right so more, aside yeah. from structural issues we need people who like you know don't deserve to really be part of the conversation to just exit stage left
0: yeah <laughs> yeah i 100 agree um not to plug the podcast too much but I, we're going to have an episode that comes out with colleen werner who's the founder of a company called Lula Fit. And they're mm-hmm. doing something really cool. I don't know if you've ever heard about it, but it's basically partnering with those owners, almost like a convene model where they're going to act as the operator for a purpose built kind of space within a building. It could be a yoga studio. It could be a, you know, a spa. It could be anything. Right. <clears throat> and maybe that's a way where, because there's some sort of agreement between the provider and the landlord that they could, capitalize that and kind of keep that within the traditional norms of like valuing a building. So it doesn't turn into this kind of lumpy, non-predictable revenue um, generating asset.
1: The problem, before we move to the next topic, like the problem, unfortunately, with capital markets not evolving, is a building might actually be better off at like 70% on demand, 30% traditional lease or 50-50 or whatever it is. Uh, but that's where I go back to like even the most innovative landlords who know where they should how they should be stacking the building can't. You yeah. know what I mean? So let's yeah. just see what happens.
0: Cool. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you spend your day being a remote tenant rep <laughs> whose clients aren't all leasing space and PEI.
1: Hmm. well um i used to be someone so when i started working um people said to me like if your calendar's not full you're doing something wrong yeah right and yeah. that didn't sit right with me but again i didn't know any different and didn't have any experience to draw on so for me i actually spend a lot of time like where i don't have any meetings and take no meetings um I have gotten to a point in my career where I have enough past clients to kind of like, you know, lean on and a steady flow of business that sort of comes my way through what I've built through content and different different other avenues over the years. So don't do a lot of conventional prospecting and I work with other people on my team, you know, who are based in Toronto and elsewhere um, that help me with those um, like follow-up, and process oriented tasks that I'm not very good at and I don't like.
0: You don't want to do. Uh, Yeah.
1: So I spend, I spend time doing that kind of thing with people. And, and frankly, when you get those, those types of dynamics down, right. And you, you know, you have trust within the, the group, it doesn't actually take a lot of my energy to be able to have that other person help me generate, you know, opportunity. And so, um, I actually spend a lot of my time contemplating, thinking, reading, um, and far less uh, traditional work actually than, than one might think is, is needed. Um, but I'm, I'm also like, you know, I'm, I'm, prioritizing different things too right now, right? Like my objective at this current moment in my life is not to be the top office leasing agent in, in CBRE in Canada. I don't, I don't care to do that. Um, so I'm, I'm not like nose to the grindstone trying to grab every 2000 foot deal or 10,000 foot deal I can find. So hopefully that answers the question <laughs> yeah no
0: I, I think that's it's interesting because it's like a complete antithesis of the model of your typical how you think of about being a broker is there's so many jobs to be done and you're asking somebody who's 25 years old coming into the business to go do this massive job right you have to prospect on your own you yeah. have to learn the, the market on your own you have to develop relationships on your own yeah and like those are three different jobs right like it's totally. like. When you come and work at a company like Occupy, that's a software company, like there is a specific role for that person who's going out and filling the top of the funnel for a yeah. salesperson. And that salesperson's specific role is qualifying that and moving that to the late stages of the pipeline. Right. Yeah. And and then it's somebody else's job to maintain, you know, the marketing and this in the CRM funnel, because mm-hmm. you know, that's where all the data and the leads live. So it's like it's it's, it's very purposefully divided, because yeah. you can't overload somebody to be f- filling their own pipeline, transacting all their own deals, maintaining the relationships with those clients after the deals. It's like, if I could create a brokerage company, I build it just like a, a software company, because then you yeah. have people have very defined roles. They know what their career progression is going to be if they want to stay in that career. Yeah. And you're not asking them to do 10 jobs when they're out of college, 23 years old.
1: Yeah, no, it's such a, like a really powerful point you're making, um, and it's not the right model, and I expect that the model will continue to evolve differently, especially as fee compression becomes more and more a factor in the industry, and technology disrupts, and you know, less deals get brokered, and more of them get done directly with space providers, um, but honestly, when, when, it, when you say all those things to me, it just like brought back like a flood of like feelings and emotions and memory (laughs) and as much as it was totally fucked up and in many ways very inefficient um, i'm actually really grateful i had to wear all those hats because it taught me so many things and um, you know actually got me to where i am right now where i can actually be more of a cerebral thinker for this phase in my journey of my career you know Um, because i did all those things
0: yeah you focus now you can focus on what matters and not focus on you know, spraying and praying.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, (laughs) (laughs) Cool. We're going to head to our our final segment here, which is the fast furious fast five questions. So I'm going to ask you five questions. You're going to get a minute to answer each of them. Um, and, uh, you know, you can, you can be as truthful or non-truthful as you want. I mean, however, we want to interpret these. All right, cool. Question number one, uh, would you rather travel to the past or to the future?
1: I, I would travel to the future for sure. Um, I'm always worried about whether or not I will achieve what I desire in the future. <laughs> and so I, I, would I want, want that know. certainty. Yeah. Yeah, I want to know. Yeah, I, yeah, I would want to know. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's it's, it's shitty all the same because I would, you know, what's the point of living if you know what's going to happen next? But I probably couldn't help myself. I would, I would want to know.
0: All right, all right, cool. Question number two um do you collect anything do
1: i collect anything too much clothes i guess i like clothes
0: yeah (laughs) you gotta look fresh Well, the problem with collecting clothes is like you buy something in in a certain state of mind or in a certain period of time and it it doesn't last that long but you never want to get rid of it because you're like i really like that thing that one time yeah. So I'm going to yeah. hold on to it but then you never you never wear it and you just
1: Well one of the things I have learned out of what you just said is like I want to only really buy core colored clothing going forward. Yeah. Like colors and styles that you just know won't go out of style. Cuz yeah. I look at half of what I have and I'm like, oh, I liked that for a while, but now
0: yeah. I guess what the see. hell was I thinking?" Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um all right, question number 3. What story do you uh tell the most often?
1: Um, I like to tell the story of um, I was uh, uh playing an online poker tournament. Um, it was one of the biggest ones in the history of online poker. Um, you could actually enter it six times. There was this period where they like the site tilt Poker allowed you to enter as yourself up to six times, which was really advantageous. You to could be six
0: players. different players in one. Yeah, player. like
1: you could, you could enter the same tournament yourself six times. So like when you load up the game literally six of you pop up six screens you're playing in each of them and so obviously you're never playing against yourself like the software algorithm ensures that um but anyway it was it was first place prize was like 1.5 million and i busted out all of my six guys my six shells were gone and i was on skype with my buddy from norway talking about like digital relationships and collaboration stuff like we were just sweating each other that's what we call it in poker sweating each other, cool. um, online. And it's like three in the morning, he's still in, you know, there's probably like a hundred, 200 players left from thousands and thousands of players. Right. And so, but it's getting close to money and I'm just like, whatever, we're chilling mostly just chatting, but like, whenever there's a key decision, like I would be advising him on, you know, stuff or whatever. And, uh, then finally we get down to like less than hundred players. And I'm like saying to myself, it's like five in the morning. I'm like, okay, I can't go to sleep because well, we have not discussed some sort of compensation for my efforts. Yeah, in him, it's implied that that there will be some form of compensation, right? We we're good enough friends, and like there's enough goalposts around the nature of like how that stuff works within the industry that like that was implied. Um, so I stuck around, and he actually ended up making the final table. And I think he came into the final table like eighth out of nine. So short stack and, and most likely going to, you know, exit stage left. That's just mathematically how it's likely to work out. Um, and he, he had, uh, I think he had a yeah, pocket eights. And I told him like, to move all in. And he was like, oh, I don't want to do it. I shouldn't do it. Like, this is, this is a bad move. And I convinced him to do it. And uh, it, he, it was a bad move we were up against pocket jacks um but he spiked an eight uh for for three of a kind and he ended up beating jacks and like rocketing up to like you know third place or something and uh anyway long and short of it he ends up making a deal with three people left and winning like 850k um and so then like you know, there's this like somber moment for me after where I'm like, oh man, like, what am I going to get from this? How do I broach this conversation? I got to ask
0: for my money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And so uh, I know this is longer than a minute, but uh, it's an interesting story. <laughs> so I just sort of said, okay, I'll leave him, I'll leave me for, for a day or two and, you know, let him soak this in. And so I I thought about it too, like, what's what's fair? And like, you know, 5% was a pretty standard number for sort of helping someone but normally you'd come in like late stages like with like 27 people left and then you'd start helping like i was there for a while right so i thought you know considering that i put in that extra effort and kind of kept him sane most of the time even though not every decision i was telling him to make was the right one i I did play a contributing role i thought 10 was fair and that we should meet in the middle at seven and a half percent because we did not come up with an, an agreement beforehand um he ended up agreeing to give me seven and a half percent of after-tax dollars because in Norway you get taxed 50 percent um and then he also started backing me for like a period of a couple months and paid for my stay in Vegas that summer because he could write it off uh as a business because he was you know paying taxes so anyway it was a pretty good deal in the end of the day but it it was an interesting story because like this guy was a cash game player not a tournament player and I had spent like four years trying to achieve that score. And of course he swoops in and like, basically doesn't play any tournaments and just like comes in and comes third and makes 850K.
0: (laughs) Well, it was your call that got him, uh, got him into the the top spots there. So (laughs) um, good, all right. Question four, what's your go-to karaoke song?
1: Ooh, you know what? If I was in front of karaoke right now, I would want to do Pray by Sam Smith.
0: Wow. You got that type of voice. You can, you can pull that off.
1: I probably couldn't pull it off. I could pull off Bradley Cooper from uh, The star is born.
0: Yep. So. I, I think somebody else told me that recently. Um, but you must have a, you must have some pipes on you then. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm tone deaf. So I think I sound good, but I don't. Um, <laughs> all right. Last question here. Um, this is a basic one. What's your favorite hobby and why? And it can't be poker.
1: No. Um, my favorite hobby is honestly just going for a walk. I just cool. love to go for a walk in nature, whatever that is. It's part of why we moved here, it's just like so you can access nature in two seconds.
0: Fresh air, things to yeah. look at, thoughts. Yeah. Walk. Yeah, man. Cool, yeah. Dave. This has been great, man. Thanks for joining us. We got a lot of uh, awesome points in this conversation. If uh, if anyone listening wanted to find you besides your LinkedIn feed, how would they do that?
1: That's really the best place and almost always place place to find me. Yeah. Um, I guess if you have something really specific, email me at david.carens at cberry.com. I'm more likely to treat that like my uh, to-do list than LinkedIn DM.
0: Actually one more question. Um, Who should we invite on this podcast next?
1: Who should you invite on? I I would love, you should invite my buddy Caleb Parker on. Um, He's a flex space operator of the UK runs a company called bold. He also has a podcast called the work bold podcast and just a, just a well of knowledge having spoken to like everybody in the industry about what needs to change. So he's my, he's my vote.
0: He's your guy. Okay, cool. We'll reach out. Other than that,
1: Phil Kirchner from McKinsey, who used to be at WeWork. Uh, he's epic.
0: Epic. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Those are two awesome choices. We'll, we'll do some outreach. I'm happy right, to help. You Appreciate, Appreciate that, Dave. All right. Take, yeah. take care, man. Thanks for your time. For sure. See ya.